I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today is a very, very, very special guest, somebody I've wanted to have on for a long time. This guy epitomizes what I think of when I think of mind-body connection in sport, what I think of artistic expression of speed in sport. This is the first man under 21 seconds in the 50-meter freestyle, first man under 19 seconds in the 50-yard freestyle. Today, we have Fred Bousquet. Hey, buddy. Hey, how are you? Probably the most interesting subject in swimming. You know, I'm not, there's a lot of interesting subjects, but you are you you you've got it. What, uh, let me let me just say this: the there's some when you think of someone, you have so many things in your brain that are like the image and what you remember. And I, I have a few images in my head when I think of you, and I two I have two that, that always come up when I think of Fred. And I and one is. Um, I see you walking up to me and all I see as you walk up is your ink, you know, across <laughs> your shoulder. And it's the first time I had been on deck and seen you. And, uh, and I was like, that is the most interesting artwork I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> the second, and, and I want to talk to you about that. And the second is 2009 world championships, which was really just fun. And I was in the stands and I wasn't, I wasn't working in media I was there to enjoy the world championships and you on deck. And I think you were wearing a jacket suit. You look like a spaceman. You, look, <laughs> you the, it, Was it white? What color was your jacket at the 2009 worlds? I've, I've had a few, but um, I think I had a gold one. I had a silver one. I, I really liked the silver one. I think I was wearing the silver one for the, uh, the final of the hundred freestyle, you know, the, the one I was in lane eight and, I took it out like a madman and never came home. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, so um, we're going to get into, I want to break down and start talking about your sprinting, your philosophy and, and, uh, and everything that I did in terms of my research before we, before we started this podcast, but just off the top of the bat, while we're on this topic, um, how do you feel about the, the, the full body tech suits? Um, you know, you had a, you had a great moment with the full body tech suits. Were you, were, did you like them? Where are you, were you, would you like, do you think they should come back? How, where do you stand on, on swim tech? Okay. A few questions there, but, um, yes, of course I, I did like them. Um, not only because I felt great in them, not because only I was faster in them, but just because it brought, it brings so much attention to swimming. And I, I saw the, um, the progress that this sport could make because of those suits, because of this technology, advancing into a more professional area where you had brands like Jacket, like Arena, Speedo, fighting to have their suit. And I could see like deep, many different companies, like many different, um, not outside of the swimming level, but different companies from worldwide, wanting to be on those suits to have their name their brand on it i mean can you imagine you i don't i'm not talking about having us like full covered of like any like mcdonald's or coca-cola or anything like that but uh, a few big names could have 
done a lot better, could have done very good to the swimmers, to the, the community of swimming, just by bringing attention and bringing medias and uh, advertisement. Um, anything that appears about the suits was good, okay. Uh, the only mistake was, and it cannot be put on the swimmers or not even on the brand uh, of swimming that uh, made those suits, but the mistake came from the FINA ruling that left a little empty um, case about those type of suit and, um, and everybody rushed into it. So we kind of, to me, from my, from my vision, we jumped about 10 years uh, into the technology. You know, we, instead of uh, in, improving year after year, like Speedo had made uh, constantly, you know, bringing the, the fast skin and those, those um, I don't remember the name of it, the one we wore in Beijing. They had like those uh, panel of um, laser racer lasers. Yes, exactly. It, it was progressive. It was small, a small step, and then jacket and blue seventy and, and whatever the other brand were. They just jumped ten years ahead, and of course we had about a hundred and something what we had beaten this year. But. To me, at the end, it was still a good thing. It, it just, he made us, he made, made the you guys, the media, talk about swimming on a different subject than uh, performances, um, swimmers going out with other swimmers or doping. It was a new subject. It was a new subject about swimming, which was making this sport more alive. Um, I wish we could have found a solution, find a way to keep those suits. Um, I don't think that uh, going back to textile is a bad thing overall because he has proven the point that the swimmers, they own their performance. Uh, the results from swimming today, uh, the, the world record beaten by Caleb or any other guy on the planet is owned by the swimmer, not by the suit. That was the very dark side, the very negative point about um, this old era suit was that any world record you would have beaten at that time, the first question was, what suit was he wearing? Or what suit was she wearing, you know? So at, at the end of the day, you don't, the 20.9 that I, I swam in, in the jacket was pretty much, okay, the jacket swam 20.9, let's see what the arena can do, you know? And I'm like, no, 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 guys, okay, we, okay, the suit does a lot, but whatever is inside the suit does a lot more. What, what I liked about the suits was that it was a, um, it brought a dimension to swimming that was, it, it, and you described it, it felt like Formula One racing. Mm -hmm. It felt like uh, it was a marriage between uh, commercial side and the athletic side. A lot of people didn't like that. And uh, because they felt like it, it, the, the technology was budding into the conversation too much. Right. Yes. On a personal you have, you have like You have a purist like uh, Yannick Agnel or even Michael Peps who refused, refused to, uh, to wear those suits. And I cannot, I cannot blame them because I understand that point of view. But from my point of view, which is from a swimmer who never really thought that was very talented or very aquatic, he helped me a lot. And I could see that 
those suits will democratize a lot more swimming in a way that a lot more people could advance to higher level um, in an easier way. Okay, it's helping, but anything in any other sport, any technology helps the, any other sport. I mean, I'm not even going into Formula One or, or car racing, but let's go to track and field. Okay. It's... it's uh... I did, I did like that it brought more money into the sport. There were more athletes were sponsored by suit companies and they had support. Um, a lot of people don't like the tech suits, but I thought it was an interesting, interesting dimension. You said something right then. You said you didn't feel like you were personally. Uh, and I don't want to miss, miss, I don't want to, I don't want to say this wrong, but you said you, you didn't feel like you, were the, the same talent, the same aquatic ability? No, no, way. no. no, no. It, it, explain that. Well, I, um, and I still believe, I always believe in my career, and I still believe that, um, I wasn't made for swimming. I wasn't the type of uh, athlete that was made for swimming. I came into the sport very late. I started swimming in the club uh, at 14 years old, uh, lacking a lot of technique, Lacking all the things you learn in swim school uh, at a young age. Uh, lacking aerobic capacity as well. Um, and basically lacking the aquatic part of being a swimmer, you know, being uh, um, comfortable in the water, which I was never. Uh, so in that way, I never took myself as a talented swimmer, like you could tell by looking, watching a Yannick Agnel or watching, I mean, to me, the most talented swimmer I've ever seen or ever witnessed is Anthony Irving. I cannot start to compare myself to him because it's a two different world. And so obviously me considering myself as a not talented swimmer, I could tell that the suit will help me a lot. Um, on top of all the workload I would put into the training as well, of course. And, but that's what I was saying. In, in talking with David Marsh before I jumped on with you, and uh, David said this. He said, of all of my athletes over my entire career, Fred was the most professional and the most dedicated. Uh, Shown up early, willing to stay late, uh, a student of the sport. He really loves you and really loves that aspect of your personality. Um, do, you said, you know, you didn't have the ability because you started late, but do you feel confident about your dedication once you got in? Did you, is, is your opinion of your dedication and training and prep, is it at, is it at the Marsh level? And yeah, well, maybe not at, at his level, but, um, and I appreciate his compliment because coming from him, uh, who's, he's a person I admire very much and, um, and I trust him as a person, as a coach. And, um, and to me, he's, he's the best out there, uh, the best you can have. Um, but um, I joined him on the, that reflection because I knew that I wasn't the most talented one on deck. I knew that I was lacking a few years of swimming in my younger age. And I had to make it up for, for it somehow. And the only way for me to make it up was to work more or be more intense um, 
into the, 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 the work ethics that I had uh, to make up um, that last round. It must have been scary to come to the United States when you did, because the way David describes it is, well, you, you were not someone who was timid. You had a lot of confidence. You were, it, it, he said he, goes, he, didn't under, he didn't speak English. He barely spoke a word of English. And he showed up, and he, but he was obviously incredibly bright. And uh, that must have been frightening. Was it scary? It was, it was, it was very scary. It took, me, it took me more than a year to, uh, to convince myself to, to jump over the bridge and, uh, and, uh, and, and go to Auburn. Um, it took me a full year, actually. Yeah, it took me a full year to, uh, uh, to take that decision. And when I arrived there, um, I thought it was dumb of me, but I thought I would be able to speak and understand anyone else. And <laughs> what a mistake. <laughs> I spent, I, I spent the, the first three weeks not talking, not saying one word, uh, because I could not understand what the other guys were ta- was telling me. Um, I had, luckily, I had two other French guys with me in the team, which at that time were Romain Barnier and Lionel Moreau, uh, who you know as well. Uh, they were there translating every single bit of practice. At the end, they were just sick of me. I think they were only to punch me in the face because I was still not getting it. But uh, it, was, uh, it was tough at the beginning. But then, I mean, you guys are very open-minded and, and the team welcomed me. Uh, with open arms and open mind. And uh, they understood um, the effort or what it took for me to leave my country, uh, leave my family and my friends, and leave my comfort zone to move there. And uh, they were all very patient. I mean, some more than the others, but some just would start talking to me and by me struggling so much to, to answer to them, they would just walk away. I'll be like, okay, I guess that's the end of the conversation. Yeah, we, we'll start later. <laughs> but eventually after, what, about two months, uh, things start getting better and easier. And, and, and then that was it. Learning English uh, in the deep South I'm, I'm, I always, you know, before I met you, I kind of wondered if you would have a, a Southern accent. I'm, I'm <laughs> from France, but no, you do. You never got the Southern accent, the, the Southern accent, which is probably a positive thing. <laughs> I don't know if it's a positive thing, but uh, uh, that, was, that was a bit rough. But um, you know what? Uh, there was one swimmer that I would not understand, and even after a few years, and he was from Texas. Not from Alabama. He was from Texas. You, you hold that against him. <laughs> I do. <laughs> because he would not make any effort for me to understand him. And if I ask him to repeat it, he would speak even faster. <laughs> Wait, uh, so let's get into the team aspect. Let me, before I do that, you, you, know, you came off the, of the 2000 Olympics. You had your elite legs before you showed up at Auburn. But was there a moment, a transformative moment, where you thought to yourself, um, wow, I, I could be great, and wow, I might be able to mark history? Because you do have pieces of history. First man under 19 seconds, first man under 21 seconds. At what point in your process and evolution with Marsh, Durden, 
right at, at Auburn. When, what, what was that moment where you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something pretty special here? Um, that moment never happened. Uh, no, really. Um, when I, when I um, arrived in Auburn, it was uh, in the summer 2002. It was two years after the Olympics. I had made the Olympic team for the first time at 19 years old. Huge surprise getting in that, in that relay, swimming a 50.6. At that time, it, it was good, but it wasn't anything great. Um, and then I, I spent the next two years after the Olympics just um, decreasing on time, just not being able to improve, losing myself into different types of training and technique, and then losing my confidence as well in the way that, okay, I, I was good at 19, and now I'm 21, and I cannot find my, my stroke anymore or something like that. So I, I, um, I went to Auburn, to me, as a 51.2, I think, swimmer. Uh, 50.6 in 2000, 51.2 in 2002, which was not good, nothing great, and even more compared to the U.S. guys. And um, what happened is that after about a month over there, uh, being totally lost about swimming, not knowing if I would be able to be good again or be better than what I was. With the experience I was getting, uh, what I was living uh, with the team, with Dave and David and, uh, and the swimmers, I was careless. I was like, it doesn't matter if I'm a good swimmer anymore because what I'm living here, the experience of life I'm having, it's a thousand times worth uh, what I was expecting at first. So um, I knew I would not have any regret by uh, moving to the U.S. Um, because of that, I could access um, a university level of, um, of school and um, maybe obtain a diploma or anything like that. So I was like, I'm thankful already. And if something doesn't work, well, too bad, but I'm, I'm living a dream already. So let's enjoy it. 2002, you think... You're thinking in 2002, my career is going backwards. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever be the athlete. I don't know. You don't know if you'll ever achieve and improve. Yeah. But by 2003 World Championships, you have the, what do you have, the second fastest split? I was trying to see it. It was yeah. a 2003 Barcelona, second fastest split in, in history on a relay. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> well, that's when the magic happened with David Marsh and Dave Durden. That's, that's, that's all on them. It's all on them. Uh, let's put it this way. I was trying to find my stroke uh, first year in Auburn, just looking at different way of technique, not knowing what I should do. And then David, David Marsh came up to me one day on deck and he's like, hey, well, Fred, uh, you're trying different technique and everything, but just let your natural talk. Uh, you're, you're a straight arm swimmer. Just keep on swimming straight arm. Just let's see what happens. And he kind of, uh, it, it freed me uh, to hear that from him. Instead of trying to um, go by the books, you know, trying to bend your elbow, keep your elbow high in the water and everything. He's like, well, just, just do what you know and what makes you swim faster. And just uh, apply that to your swimming every day and be happy about it. And uh, we focused on the qualities I had and not 
the the the, um, the weaknesses, and and then at the end of the year he gave the a forty-seven, um, forty-seven zero three, inside that relay. How'd that feel? <laughs> it felt good. I get to say that race felt amazing. I was in a state of mind so angry and pissed. Uh, not at, at anyone, not pissed off at anyone, or, but pissed off about the situation that was going in. Uh, we had qualified for those world champs as a team with the relay. And um, after prelims, we were sitting third, um, which was good, which was great for us. Of course, we knew that um, the, the US and the Australians, they were going to bring their A guys um, in the relay for the afternoon, so they would kill us in the afternoon. But for sure, we were aiming for top five. You know, top five in the world at that time, that was, that was all we wanted. And then uh, this, the race started, and, uh, and then I can see us like slowly decreasing in the, 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 the result score. And, and at some point, uh, when my teammate flipped at the 250 mark, I see we ate. We're sitting eight. And that just pisses me off. And then I have Roman Barnier, who was on that relay at that time, walking out of the pool, walking behind the blocks with me, and he just started yelling at me, like but yelling, like just throwing out words, which uh, who put me in like a, a position where I, I was mad. I, was, I had madness coming out of me. And uh, I was just, I just wanted to get in the water and swim. Uh, I didn't care about anything else. And then as soon as I hit the dive, it, it was gone. I put my head in between my, my, my strokes and did not, did not think about anything else but just catching up on everybody else. And, um, and we had the Italian team right next to, to us. And, you know, the French and the Italian, we always been into that little battle of, um, of pride, I guess, uh, thinking that the French are better at soccer than the Italian, which of course is. But um, we wanted to prove to them that French could be better at swimming than the Italian as well. And we were way behind them. And uh, Filippo Manini just jumped in right before me. And I'm like, I'm, 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 getting, I'm getting him. I'm going to hit him. And, um, and the race went on. And at the end, I, I did not see anything else besides the Italian on, on my left side. I did not see the Australian. I did not see the, the, the other teams. Uh, to me, they were too far ahead. So that was a pretty big surprise when I hit the, the wall and I, I, I see that we were getting third. And I, I think we beat the Australians by 1-100 too. So <laughs> we got lucky. I would say we got lucky on that one too. It's uh, also from David in talking and, and also from your fans watching you, there's an intensity uh, and about you. It, it, it comes off of you. And you feel it when you walk past, Fred, by the way, if you guys are listening out there, you're, you're not watching this video, when you walk past Fred Bousquet, you feel his energy. He's, yeah. he's, he, he vibrates. The, yeah. uh, so the question is, where does that come from? Where does that emotion, where does that anger come from? David described it, it, you as an emotional swimmer, not someone who could do it individually. He could do it for the team. He could do it for the relay. Yeah. And uh, he, goes, he goes, where does that, he wants to know where that comes from. Where does it come from? Well, the intensity, it's not, it's not always anger that I use to, uh, to prep for my races, but the intensity I was bringing into my race was um, a bunch of emotions, mixed up emotions, like mixed up of, uh, 
uh, a mix of happiness, uh, stress, anger as well, um, will just to prove to anyone else that I could be good or could, I could be the best. And, um, and the fact that this intensity comes out of me, I guess I have I own that to my mom. My mom has never been able to keep any emotions uh, inside and uh, anything that she feels, you can see, her, see it on her face. And I guess I'm the same as her. Anything that I feel, if I'm happy, you're gonna see me smiling. If I'm down, you're gonna see me like down, you know? And people, I, I'm open to, uh, to that. And I don't care, I, I, I like that. And I knew that uh, by working on this intensity uh, was also disturbing, uh, kind of disturbing my uh, competitors because they would see me in that state. They, they would wonder. It would take them out of their own race by watching me. You know, and at some point I was like, hey, if I do that to them, it's not doing any good to them. So just keep on doing it. Uh, so as someone who was on deck and can is a witness to Fred Bousquet, I can tell you this. You're very respectful of media. You understand media and, and they're part of the of swimming coverage. But you're also someone who has very good boundaries. Uh, I remember moments where we would, we would make a, an interview request. And you would just do this, and I, so you guys aren't, you can't see it, but you just go. And uh, I just shook my head, a very curt shake. And I knew, okay, that's it. He, he's letting us know, no. But that was a, it was, you, you communicated, um, you communicated what you needed and what you were okay with doing. And that was, it's a little different from a lot of athletes. A lot of athletes would sort of kowtow and just kind of walk up and, maybe give a poor interview but if you didn't want to talk you didn't talk it's wow. uh it's it's did you know that about yourself were you aware of this well i know that communication is key in any, any aspect any part of our life and uh sometimes it's better to shut up than to be a, a poor communicator and uh sometimes I, I would just come out of my races and I knew that what I would have to say or what I would answer would not bring anything good to the interview or to the sport of swimming or to myself, you know? Uh, I mean, what are we doing now is we're sending each other. You're sending your program, I'm sending myself as well. And it's the same way on deck. Uh, a swimmer coming out of his race, he's gonna go sell himself to the media, uh, hoping that the media would put him on the stand where Everybody will look up to him and, uh, and then you have like sponsors and everything. It's a game. It's kind of a game. It's part of the game. And sometimes you, you have to take yourself out of the game in order to not hurt yourself. Very professional. Very professional of you. You talked a little bit about something. I want to go back a little bit. And you, you talked about working with David Marsh and talked about uh, experimenting with different um, strokes and that David supported you in going with your straight arm recovery. And the straight arm recovery is now transformative. It is what big swim, a lot of most big swimmers are swimming straight arm. They're going what they call over the barrel. I would say that pound for pound, in terms of your size and stature, you are the fastest man on the planet. It, it seemed like you got so much out of your body. Um, Tell me the process of going straight arm and developing that stroke that, is, that was really 
unique and transformative. When did, oh. you, when did it connect and you went, hmm, this is it? Okay. Um, it, it was very basic because um, when I started swimming, for me, swimming fast was turning my arms around as fast as I can. And um, by bending my elbow, I could see that, I could feel that I could not turn my, my arms as fast as I wanted to. So I started opening my elbow. But at first, I would open my elbow more to the side, uh, not like a really straight up arm like I used to do. Uh, and it, it's actually David who told me to go more into this of opening my stroke, opening my arm, but uh, liberating my shoulders as well, not going over to the side, but just open it. And then I, I felt a really good balance doing that um, in a way that the only thing I, I believe was good about me as a swimmer is I had a very good balance as far as power and weight. To me, I was more powerful than the average level of athletes that were, who were the same weight as me. Um, but in order to be better in the water, I needed to apply this power in the water in the best way I could, in the more efficient way I could. And uh, the most efficient way I, I, I found was to go straight on. Um, it was a very tough job to keep my body aligned uh, by doing that. So, okay, I just walk on corpse and, um, and, and abs and, uh, and hauling my body together and stronger legs as well. But... Um, it was, um, it felt more natural anyway. When I see uh, Caleb Dressel, it's not the same stroke, mm -hmm. but I, I see some similarities in terms of the uh, just your build and the power that I see from him. It seems very, it, there, there's a similarity there. Uh, I'm not a sprinter, buddy. I, I don't, you know, I, sprinters to me are like magical creatures. Yeah. Uh, I don't, and I, I never coached. Uh, I, I was a mid-distance guy. Um, how would you compare your stroke to current, the current fastest swimmer on the planet in terms of just style and, and uh, efficiency? Well, uh, Caleb, and let's say Caleb, Flo, and, and, and Bruno uh, Fratus. Uh, all of them using the straight-arm technique, um, but in a different way. Um, let's say Bruno. Bruno has to me today the most efficiency as far as uh, going around um, having a, like the fastest tempo yet uh, being the most efficient underwater being being able to keep a, a tempo that high and in the same time being able to apply uh, and, and and not lose any water uh, it's to me it's amazing it's, it takes a lot of work and when we talk about work ethics uh, i think you guys have uh, Bruno like that, um, but uh, Bruno to, to say the difference between Bruno, Caleb, Flo, and I is that to me when I studied swimming straight arm, uh, you know I, I was I learned swimming by watching the like um, Alexander Popov swimming, which is really relaxed. You know those fingertips under like above the water, just being relaxed and everything. So I was when I studied swimming straight arm, I still. Um, looked for a way to be relaxed as well above the water, which is, re it, which is also why you could see when I was swimming straight out, my hand being almost co completely uh, backward at some point uh, because it was relaxed. 
uh, where you, when you watch a guy like Flo today, um, his straight arm is very powerful. I mean, he's, he's the most powerful guy I can see in the world today. I mean, the guy is uh, over 100 kilos and uh, he bench, I don't know how many kilos today, but he's, he's Hulk. And uh, he's Hulk in the water as well. But the way he swims straight arm is a, a very tense, tense, uh, tense straight arm, which is also one of the reasons he hasn't been able to come, out, come through the 100 um, swimming that way. There's a... For the, for the 50 free, the 50 free is that event everyone stands up for. You stand up to watch it. Nobody's standing up to watch the 200 butterfly. They stand up to watch the 50 freestyle. At the, and, and, and swimming's defined by a few moments, defined by world champs, defined by the Olympic Games. Uh, it seems like Caleb has, Caleb Dressel has such a huge margin on everyone else. It seems like he has a cushion to win. Um, how, how insecure should you be about a cushion to win in, in a world with, with Flo and in the world with, with Bruno Fratis? <laughs> um, I don't think that Caleb is great. Caleb is an amazing athlete, of course. He's making history, but um, he doesn't have much ground on, on Florent or Bruno. Um, he's ahead of them at the moment. I agree to that. Uh, I would say, I would almost say he's ahead of them on a one-day uh, world championships where you only have the 53 to swim. But when I look at Caleb's schedule today and uh, look at his plan to swim at the Olympics, if the Olympics happen, by the way, um, his week is going to be uh, pretty, pretty heavy. He's going to have the 4 by one he's going to have the 100 free, he's going to have the 100 fly, and then the 53, um, where... The guys like Bruno or Flo will only have the 53, maybe, maybe the, the four by one, maybe. But even that, that's, uh, that's six days before. So it gives them plenty of time to recover. So what I'm saying is that you're going to have a Caleb Dressel kind of, uh, not drowning because he's, like I said, an amazing athlete, he's young and he's working with great Troy. So, I mean, the guy can handle a few races. Definitely. But he's still going to be a bit tired, or at least not as fresh as the guys like Flo or Bruno. So I'm thinking that it's going to be a very close race. And, uh, and I'm not even thinking about the outsiders. You know, I mean, you got Ben Proud still, still there and still young in his, in his mind and, and young enough to make big jump, big, big improvement. And then I don't even know what Anthony Irwin is doing. Is he still swimming, planning on making it? I don't even know. What's, what's the deal there? He's, um, I think that he is, uh, he's more of an ambassador and a politician of sport. Uh, but, <laughs> well, uh, because, I mean, considering, considering graduate school, um, yeah, he, he's, re he's not really in the mix. But uh, okay. I talk to him every, every so often just because he's interesting, like you. Oh, he's, he's very, he's bright. He's a bright guy. Um, but no, anyway, to go back to that, uh, I would say that Caleb hasn't won yet. But um, he's got a good shot. But uh, 50 is, uh, you know, this event where anything can happen. I mean, Flo, Flo and everyone else thought that they, uh, he would win the 50 in Rio. And uh, you missed your, your start and you're done. 
Yeah. We're down to our last 10 minutes and, and everyone will hate me if I don't talk about this. And you have talked about, you've been on the record about this. Uh, and in talking with David Marsh, David's like, I, I was, I was in Beijing, spent the four by one in Beijing. Everybody in America is really all, you know, it's all they want to talk about. But I was with Marsh, like my hotel room was a few rooms down from his during the entire Olympics. And the four by one was the most exciting race. We walked off out of the stands and we walked, we walked back and he, and he walked up to me and said, if Fred had anchored, the French would have won and Michael Phelps would have seven medals. He didn't say hi. He didn't give me a hug. And there was no fist bump. <laughs> he just said, he said, if Fred had anchored, that would that, have that won that four by one. That, that would have been a French gold medal. And he goes, I think it should have been a French gold medal. Um, and he was, frankly, he was, uh, you know, he was happy the Team USA won, but you could tell that it was a, it was a heavy weight on him that you didn't have that moment. Um, well, I think what, what he, he didn't like is that, yes, the USA team won, but they didn't win because they were the best. They win because the French made a mistake. And I'm not taking anything away from that, the, the value of that gold medal. I mean, you guys were able to handle the pressure. Michael Phelps at first. And then, and then all the, the pressure that the media and everybody else can put on the U.S. Of course, that's, that is uh, everything about put is incredible. But what I, say, what I think that uh, was hard for David to accept is that they won, but not because they were the best. It's, uh, mistakes are made, and we, we see it in hindsight. And uh, you've shared a little bit about it, and you've been very gracious about uh, your teammate, Alan Bernard. And you, I remember you describing him as being, uh, it was his first Olympics. Yeah. And, uh, and the change happened in the lineup. How, how quick, how, when did the change happen in the lineup? When did you find out? How, how much time did you have between learning the change and actually racing? About two hours. What was go, what, emotionally, what were you feeling in your body during those wow. two hours with this shakeup? Uh, the, the first two minutes were, followed the, the, the uh, announcement that the change, the, the relay had changed. Um, it, was, um, it was a mess. All of us were a big mess because um, it was um, a mix of anger because um, the staff didn't pay attention to our world and didn't respect us by going against our decision and by going, by going behind our back, not telling us they would change the order. So there was a lot of anger and then there, were, there was uh, this emotion of, uh, you're down. You're like, okay, well, there is no way we can win or there is no way we can do something good because we just had never thought about a different order than the one we had. Uh, and we had work all together on that order of the relay. We had work on relay exchange, we had work on, on finishes, we had work like mentally when you visualize your race, when you get ready for your race and you visualize it, uh, I visualize my race with the order of my teammates. Not any other, not, no other possibility. And then you found out about two hours before the race that, well, you, you guys, we, we think you just, you're shit. We're going to put the order we want, not telling you about it. We won't have the balls to come to you and tell you to your face that we changed the order. We will tell it to one of the swimmers 
who was in charge to give us the info. <laughs> I mean, how can you react? At some point, I wanted to punch the guy in the face. But, um, you touched the wall. Uh, I think you had point you gave Alan. Point eight. Point eight lead into the final 100. And, uh, and, and I, I know he ever swam the first 50, but it was still, it was still, I, it, you know, I was, I was going back and looking at the, at the splits. It still was, a, it seemed like a great swim. I, I did not think that, that Lezak was going to do what he was going to do. What, what did you think when you touched the wall? When I touched the wall I, I, and I see the point eight difference and I, I see Lezak and I, I'm not confident at hundred percent, but I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself in a way that we can win. Because Alain was ready, more than ready. I had seen him swim in the, uh, the warm-up. I had seen him do the, his stingers two days before. I knew that Alain was in the best shape of his life, just building that confidence coming into this year as a world record holder in the 50 and the 100. Um, so when I touch the wall and I see Alan swimming, I'm like, well, we're going to have that one. We're going we're gonna to get it. We're going to get that gold. And I see him flip at the 50. And I see him that he's getting, putting more distance between him and Lizak, which in first reaction, I'm like, oh, great. Even more chances to win. But then I, I try to see what time he won and the time he's gone to the 50. And I'm like, okay, he, he, he won that fast. Let's see, but he can handle it. He's young, he's got talent, he's got um, a heavy lot of work behind him, so he can handle it. But um, when everything went down to me is when I started, when I saw him started to swim towards the US lane and then getting closer and closer to the lane line. And I was like, that is, that's, that's the end, that's the end. Um, it's uh yeah you can you can surf lezak surfed surfed all the way into the wall he i mean he surfed somehow he did catch a little a little wave i mean he didn't surf all the way but he did catch some wave i mean the guy is smart enough he's got enough experience to to be able to see what's going on in the race and then catching what he can uh, you cannot blame anyone for that. I cannot even blame Alan for getting closer to the lane. I mean, that's what we do naturally. We're so used to swimming circle lane all year long, doing warm-up and training and everything that it's, it's something we do naturally. You're getting tired, you get closer to the lane. So it gives you an, an kind of a way to feel your speed, you know. Uh, the only thing I could... Uh, I could... Um, regret about that race is uh, Anna, when he touched the, the wall, he, he looked at the board before touching the wall. Yeah. He raised his head before. And um, all the other mistakes, okay, they're rookie mistakes. I don't, I don't mind, you know, going out too fast, uh, swimming next to the lane line. They're rookie mistakes. First Olympic, first race at the Olympic is a final of the four by one, the most important race in the Olympic games and against the US. Okay. You, can, you can't handle all much, that much pressure. I agree with that. The only thing I cannot agree with is opening up your head when you're, you're a sprinter, you know how to finish. That's the only thing. No one's going to forget you in the United States for the next 50 or 60 years because of that race and because of, there's been so much talk about it. The, the, I, what I wonder is 
This is a swim, this is the French Swimming Federation. Do they do they call you before big meets and say, "Hey, Fred, um, what, what what lineup do you think would work on the four by one?" Do they do, are they consulting you? No, 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 not not anymore, not anymore. I think I yelled at them too much during my career for them to call me now. <laughs> I offered my services. Uh, sincerely, I offered my services to the Federation. After the, the Rio Olympic Games, when I told them I was walking out of swimming, walking away, and that it was time for me to, uh, to retire, I, I told them, okay, look, guys, I'm not, I'm not trying to grab on everything or uh, getting, uh, trying to find a new opportunity. I have... Um, opportunities waiting for me. I have a job waiting for me at home. I, I know what I want to do and I have my career, my professional career all lined up. But I do want to stay involved in the sport of swimming in any way I can. So of, of course I will keep and, and, and stay close to the, the, the club of Marseille and close to their swimmer and, and talk to them and give them advice or answer to the question whenever they want or feel like it. But I also told them, if you want me involved with the younger kids, the younger generation, like just sharing my experience with them, answering questions, going to different type of uh, um, training center or anything, just let me know. I'll be more than happy to do that. Uh, yeah, no, it's been four years. I'm still waiting for the call. <laughs> I'm not surprised. But, uh, as we close out here, I, I, I want to I talk to you just for a second. Just want some comments about your, your artwork, your ink. It's uh, it it is it's something that is so unique to you. The head of production for our company is Coleman Hodges. He has gotten his ink and artwork. It's not yours, but it's it is inspired by yours. Really? Uh, yes, you've got fans everywhere, buddy. The uh, at at one point, I, I, we were on deck, and I asked you on camera, as you know, I said, "Hey, you know, are you going to get the Olympic rings?" And and you answered me, and it surprised me. Yeah, so I was like. You said, you know what? Everybody does it. It's not because I'm looking. I'm. I'm. This my artwork is unique to me. You didn't get the rings. Can you explain why? Well, because I, the rings to me, they. Uh, it's, it looks like a stamp because everybody has it. Everybody that make the Olympics. Um, it's it's like a ritual. I, I understand it. I understand the the, the will to to have the, the Olympic rings, but. Uh, to me, if I wanted to have the, the rings, I would have to put them in a different way. And it would be too, too far from the reality of what it is. So I just never felt like getting them. Plus, um, having the rings on you, is, it's a way of, uh, to me, and I'm, I mean, it's very personal like as a reflection, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of bragging, showing everyone else, hey, look, I went to the Olympics. Look at that. That's that's my stamp, you know, and that's I'm I'm not comfortable about it. I'm not comfortable showing up and and, and showing off to everyone that I went to the Olympics. You are unique, interesting to talk to, and uh, I love talking to you. Will you come back on the podcast? <laughs> of course, I would. All right. Uh, Thank you so much. Do you have any parting thoughts before we close? No, I'm good. I mean, we, we covered quite a bit uh, of subjects. So thanks for having me here. Yeah. Good talking to you. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. I'm going to cut it there. Yes. Thanks, buddy. You have a good day. Thank you so much. I really Thank appreciate you it. Too. A lot of fun. Bye-bye. Take Bye. care. Take care. You've been listening to the Swim Swam Podcast. 
Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim Podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.